This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Lance Secretan, the author of a new book entitled The Bellwether Effect. Please listen to Greg's interview with Dr. Secretan on podcast number 678. One in two employees are unhappy with their job, and two-thirds of employees are disengaged at work. In this podcast, Dr. Secretan explains what is contributing to these alarming statistics and what can be done to reduce and eliminate them. In The Bellwether Effect, Dr. Secretan proposes a theory that explains how and why leaders are attracted to and seduced by trendy ideas and the process by which these ideas then become mainstream. Greg's interview with Dr. Lance Secretan is engaging, informative, and hopeful for the future of employees, leaders, and the corporations that employ them. Please listen to podcast number 678 with Dr. Lance Secretan on his new book, The Bellwether Effect. For more information, please visit www.secretan, that's spelt S-E-C-R-E-T-A-N dot com backslash The Bellwether Effect. And thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And uh, Ken, as I do all the time, I like to thank the listeners because, you know, without them, without our audience, without the people that follow us um, and people that buy our books, um, we don't have anything. So we appreciate you. And thank you to all of you from around the world who've been listening to my show and supporting uh, this show. Today, uh, joining me, and where are you joining me from, Ken? Are you in San Francisco? Yes, San Francisco. Okay. Dr. Kenneth Pelletier, um, he has a new book out. He's the author of many other books, and we'll uh, put some links up to those in the blog for all of you who are interested. We were just talking about one of them called Mind is Healer, Mind is Slayer, um, which has been out for some time. But this book is called Change Your Change, Change Your Life, Creating Optimal Health with the New Science of Epigenetics. Genetics. And I'll make sure that I say that right. Um, so Ken is joining us from San Francisco. And let me let you know just a little bit about him. Uh, Dr. Kenneth uh, Pelletier is a clinical professor of medicine at UCSF School of Medicine and the former clinical professor of medicine at the Stanford School of Medicine. He's authored numerous books, including the international bestseller, Mind as Healer, Mind as Slayer. Dr. Pelletier is a peer reviewer for several medical journals, including the journal Occupational Environmental Medicine, serves on a number of corporate boards, and is the vice president of the American Specialty Health. He's published over 300 professional articles and has appeared on ABC, CBS, CNN, NBC, and the BBC to discuss his research. Well, it's an honor having you on. And as I went through this book, and as our world has been evolving, which has been crazy with just the advancements in medicine, um, it, it always surprises me. I actually went... Uh, Ken, just three days ago or four days ago to the La Jolla Institute of Immunology. And they were saying there that they're working on a vaccine or a just a vaccine uh, for heart disease. And I was like blown away, not only heart disease, diabetes, and many other things. So the research that's going on is phenomenal. 
Now you state in the introduction of your book that the lifestyle choices and our life conditions play a large part in how our epigenome functions, which in turn determines the function of the underlying genome. If you would explain to our listeners a bit about this and how is it that you help people realize this, this kind of phenomena that it's not all about, you know, we've been running around for years thinking, well, our ancestors are going to determine our mortality. Um, and, and that is not a reality. And you bring that to light because lots of studies have been done on genes and their action. And they're actually quite fluid. So um, if you would explain to our listeners a little more. I will. And thank you and your listeners for having me on your program. I appreciate the time. <clears throat> well, uh, in, in a nutshell, most of us think of genes like uh, computer hardware, that it's fixed. It's an operating system that does not change, and it governs everything on basically operation of your computer. And that is the gene but the expression of that gene. In other words, does it become activated or is it suppressed in its tendency is dependent on everything we do in terms of lifestyle. So genes, my, my book title is actually a kind of a bit of a put on. Change your genes. Genes don't change. What does change is the expression. Is it, is it expressed or is it suppressed? And when we ask the question, what is it that makes a gene function in a hyper or a hypo way, become very expressed or suppressed, then that has to do with diet, stress, pharmacology, our environment, our relationship to other people. And this, the clearest way to think about it is every cell has a gene, and the, in, in that cell is an ocean of biochemistry. And that biochemistry is in an ocean of the body of biochemistry and physiology, and our bodies are connected to the world, physically connected and emotionally connected. So whatever happens through all of those connections to the world, to the physical environment, to our own internal state, affects the gene. And that mechanism and that loop, so what we have when you think about epigenesis, which means above, beyond, or around, in epigenesis, what you have is the influence of all of these factors on gene expression. That's the critical variable in health longevity. Um, one last point is that when we think about genetic uh, influences for disease, less than 5% of disease, less than 5% of longevity, healthy aging, is accounted for by the gene itself. Um, and those influences will show up within the first six to nine months of life. After the first nine months of life, 95% of what we experience in our life is a result of our lifestyle interacting with our genetic push. It's, it's so fascinating because, you know, for years, I think many of our listeners would thought that the fate was determined by, you know, the, our prior histories, our ancestors. So if you had people that had cancer or people that had heart disease, you know, you had this and, and you talk a lot about the mind and, you know, I know all these kits are out there today, you know, these DNA testing kits and then they're, they're telling people uh, actually, you know, what the predetermined kind of future could be for them. Can you comment on that? Because, you know, I think that that's got some social impact. Um, 
and there are people that have done DNA testing kits that want to find out what their predisposition to a certain disease is. Um, do, do you believe in those? Do you think it's good? For, obviously, you think it's good for us to know. The, the question is, is how do we change the mind so we can change the body? Right. That's an excellent question. And what you're pointing out is there are maybe 10 to 12 companies now, and there, there are more coming online every day that do genetic testing. And uh, my, my position on that and one of the reasons of writing the book is that that's a fallacy. It, and uh, the fallacy is the fact that these genetic tests end up giving you a predisposition to a disease. And it's always statistical. You've got a 40% probability, 30%, even 80% probability. What they don't tell you is what are the people who have exactly the same genetic uh, predisposition that you do and don't get that disease. So what I'm interested in is you may have a push in a particular direction, but what changes it so that disease does not become uh, manifest? And that is the difference. So you take the same technology, the gene technology, and you either do a disease prediction model, like 23andMe is the most common one, or you do a healthy biomarkers model. And everything in my book and everything in my research is based on healthy biomarkers. And that simply means that you may have a predisposition to cancer. You may have a predisposition to irritable bowel, to heart disease. That's a push in a particular direction. Now, if you live in a way that, that enhances that, so you're, you're overweight, you don't exercise, you eat poorly, you live in a terrible environment, a lot of stress, that gene will be manifest. However, if you have that gene and you have a good diet, you're exercising, you're managing stress, you have a good environment, you're happy with your work, that gene is going to stay dormant. That push toward heart disease is not going to show up in your personal history, in your health, and in your longevity. That's the critical factor. And <clears throat> this area of healthy biomarkers is like all of us know our cholesterol levels now. Five years ago, hardly anyone knew. <clears throat> now everyone knows your cholesterol level. So for every biological function of the body, we know the range of ideals for that marker, ideal blood pressure, ideal adrenal cortical tropical hormones. Um, and we can give to a person that information and the information to say if it's too high, here's how you can bring it down into your optimal range. If it's too low, here's how to raise it into an optimal range. That information is how we steer and create an optimal health and an extended life expectancy. It's this healthy biomarkers model. Um, so my, my general take on genetic testing is it's fine, but remember, it's just a statistic. It does not have anything to do with you and your specific likelihood of health or illness. And, and that's the point of this book. Um, most importantly, you know, and it, I think the more we hear from the media in, in these days, Ken, um, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, there seems to be such a prevalence, or at least we're more aware of it than maybe it was before be, because of just the fact that there is so much media around it. When somebody has a predisposition to that, and you tell a great story of this, and, and this is cancer and Angelina Jolie decided to have this double mastectomy. You state that she made the decision based on genetic uh, determinization and that is on the brink of extinction. So 
what's changed since 2013 and what decision could she have made today or any of us could make if we're faced with something like that to uh, at least ward off that particular uh, risk factor? Right. In the case of, uh, well, in five years, an enormous amount of change has happened, an enormous amount of understanding. Epigenetics is really a new field, probably in the last, probably the last five to seven years. So the, the realization that we modify our genes and, and do so in a matter of seconds and minutes, I mean, these, these are rapid, it's a rapidly changing uh, system. We're not talking about years and decades. We're talking about seconds and minutes and weeks at most. So what we're learning is that this is a very volatile changing system. In the case of Angelina Jolie, she had a 80% likelihood of developing breast cancer. She had a positive result of both BRCA1 and BRCA2, which are the two genetic markers for breast cancer. So she was faced with an 80% likelihood of developing breast cancer. Now, she decided to do a double mastectomy, and that was highly publicized. And, and I think it was a courageous and heroic thing for her to do. However, she also subsequently spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on elegant reconstructive surgery. So the question for most women is, well, that may be a choice for you to undergo a double mastectomy based on risk, but do you have hundreds of thousands of dollars or do you want to engage in the subsequent surgery for reconstruction? So that's one question. Secondly, uh, she could have done uh, close monitoring. So she could have, using thermography, non-invasive kind of uh, um, periodic assessment of her actual development of a, of a tumor. If a tumor developed as a localized tumor, it could have been excised without a mastectomy. So she could have undergone uh, periodic close monitoring. The other is that she could have taken some prophylactic medications like tamoxifen, which would lower her risk overall of developing the uh, estrogens that produce, if you will, the breast cancer. Um, so there, there are steps, and she could have looked at things like uh, diet, physical fitness, stress levels, environmental interaction, and optimize those. So there are ways to be sure that the pathways that give rise to the changes that produce cancerous cells are reduced in likelihood. There are no certainties. There are no certainties in genetic tests. There are no certainties of, that we'll ever wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> no one's handing out those kinds mm -hmm. of certainties. Uh, but what we can do is we can optimize the likelihood of a positive outcome. So there were options for her uh, and there are options for other women. And we saw in the press subsequent to that decision that a lot of information actually came out, which was a good thing, telling women exactly what we've been discussing now, which were all of the options that are available. Interesting. Yeah, there are a lot more options and it is, it is fascinating to me. Now I've heard this and I bet you many of my listeners have heard this as well. And you can either laugh at it or not, but I, w I was always told, you know, our bodies and our way the cells are made, it's almost like a copy machine, right? And uh, the copy machine at some point gets old and it starts making bad copies, uh, meaning that those cells are dysfunction. Um, you, you state in the book that we now know that environmental and psychosocial factors as well as lifestyle choices play the largest part 
and I'm going to say kind of in, in the way these cells kind of reproduce in this epigenome function, um, which in turn you say the expressions of the genes that govern our, govern our health and longevity. What are some of the things that we can do, uh, not the biochemical pathways, which I'm going to ask you in a minute, but what are some of the things that you recommend to your patients or you tell other researchers um, that can be done to affect this? Because you're saying environmental and obviously psychosocial factors. Um, what are some of the actual things that you would tell people if they're trying to reduce their propensity toward any of these diseases? Yeah, what you're talking about are the telomeres, and telomeres are, are an X-shaped chromosome, and each leg of that chromosome is a length, and on the end of it is a tip. It's like a shoelace uh, tip. And as we age, as cells replicate over time, the uh, telomere shortens and the tips become frayed. And so subsequent cells become less and less clear, less and less well-defined, less and less function. Uh, and if you take, uh, so that, that's the mechanism if you're at a cellular level underlying aging. But if you take those cells and put them in an optimal environment, they will replicate enough times that if you extract that to human life expectancy, it's an age of about 125. So if you look at our average life expectancy in late 70s, early 80s, we're living 30 years less than our body is really designed to do. Now, the, one of the biggest impacts, ironically, on a telomere length and telomere integrity is stress. When we are under stress, the molecular changes in the cell actually shorten the telomere and fray the ends more rapidly than normal. Now, that's on the negative side. On the positive side, there have been several studies conducted looking at meditators of people before and after a 10-week meditation. And what you find is that the telomere elongates and the, the tips of the telomere uh, become more integrated. So the likelihood those cells are going to replicate accurately over time is increased. Now, be after, I think, I'm not sure it's in the book or not, but within the last six months, there's actually a study conducted at Harvard where they took people who had never meditated and they had to meditate for 20 minutes and looked at the telomere before and after 20 minutes of meditation for the first time. And what they found is that in 20 minutes, the telomere had elongated and the tip of the telomere had greater integrity. Now, it's not going to stay that way because in order to maintain that, you're going to have to engage in some form of meditation or stress management over time. But it shows you how dramatically we can impact the telomere and in a very short time. And in effect, what you're doing is extending your life expectancy. This podcast is brought to you by Simon Vetter, one of the authors of Leading with Vision, the leader's blueprint for creating a compelling vision and engaging the workforce. Please listen to podcast number 681 with Simon and Greg as they discuss how to emotionally engage the new, younger workforce, shape a high-performing culture, and create a business strategy to disrupt your industry. Simon Vetter is an expert on leadership development and behavioral change. With over 20 years of experience in executive education, he has coached and trained leaders from Adobe, Cisco, Dell, Microsoft, Siemens, and many other companies. Learn from Simon what it takes to develop and implement a compelling vision. Please visit the book website at 
www.leadingwithvisionbook.com. Thank you for listening. That is that is truly at just such an important observation that researchers have been able to do. And, you know, for years at, you know, Mind Body Institute where Dalai Lama has done this and put, you know, electrodes on not only his skull, but those of many others. I've known for years that meditation is the quickest way to, in my estimation, my humble opinion, to heal many elements of the body, uh, mind, body, and spirit. And I do think it is one of those um, very inexpensive things that everybody can do. If you look at all the drugs that people put in their system, you could imagine if we had a world of meditators, how uh, different the world might be today. Uh, especially with uh, the decisiveness and anger and hate that goes on. So those are expressions of ourself, which I believe have a huge impact. Now in your chapter four on wellness, you discuss biomarkers. Um, and I think our listeners probably hear this a lot, but they don't really know what it means. So what are they? How can they help? How can you help our listeners determine um, what they are and, and what, does it determine about our health? I think people say, oh, we have a biomarker, which is an indication of, you know, you're going to have uh, diabetes or you've got a biomarker and you're going to have, you know, heart disease. Is is that, it, it, can you give us any more information about biomarkers and their, their usage? Yes. I mean, biomarkers are uh, basically biochemicals in the body. So, for instance, we have a, a CRP biomarker for inflammation. We have cholesterol as an indication of the total amount of lipids in, in the bloodstream. Uh, so all, every function in the body has a biomarker or a number that's associated with it. And it can be too high or it can be too low. There's a normal range or an optimal range within which you want that biomarker. So as an example, if you have a mark, we have CRP, uh, C-reactive protein, which is a biomarker for inflammation. If it's too high, you're going to have a tendency toward arthritis, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, inflammatory heart disease. Uh, on the other hand, if it's too low, it means your immune system is compromised. So you're going to have cuts and scrapes that don't heal. You're going to be prone to infections, flus, and viruses. So inflammation, we all, now we are in the general mind where the inflammation is bad. It's not bad. Uh, there's a narrow range within which you want an inflammatory response. If you get a minor cut, the, the reddening that occurs around that cut is an inflammatory response. That's healing. So we want the inflammation within a particular range. So if, if for instance, you had a high inflammatory marker, then green leafy vegetables uh, fruits and fruits uh, that are high, deeply colored, like apples, oranges, plums, uh, will reduce inflammation. Uh, having stress management will reduce the inflammation. Exercise, very, very potent effect on reducing overall inflammation. Being in a clean environment, not being subject to environmental pollution, again, very positive effect on reducing inflammation. So each of these biomarkers, and, and we have hundreds, literally hundreds of biomarkers, and what we will see within the next year, and most of this is even available now, and I, I talk about some companies that do this in the book, um, you can get hundreds of these biomarkers tested right now. 
And with the biomarker testing, you get information about what you can do to raise or lower it. And also they're usually linked to a session with a geneticist or a physician or an expert who can help you interpret and make it more personal to what you need to do. So these are all, they're simply a number. It gives you information. And with that information, you decide to move it up or down. Well, obviously knowing this and knowing how to do something with it is really the key. And like you said, having the right guidance through, um, and I'm going to ask you about that, you know, functional medicine doctor or something like that in the field. One of the things that I'm sure all our listeners are hearing, I'm hearing, and I've been following for some time is, you know, oh, take your probiotics because there's a gut is, you say the gut binome is is actually and in your case i don't know if you're saying this but linked to the heart so we hear this correlation i mean you're you're hearing a lot of this um how important is our gut's health and how correlated is that in your estimation to heart health uh gut health is extremely important if you look at three measures. How do we know who we are biochemically? I mean, most of us choose diets or exercise or meditation, but we have no idea who is doing the choosing. What's the effect? What is the particular diet for our biochemistry? So if you look at genetic markers, blood markers, and biomic or intestinal tract markers, the third one is the least well-developed, but within a, a year, two years at most, we will know definitively how to interpret the bacteria that are in the human intestinal tract. Now, what's fascinating is that from the mouth to the anus, that's the the gastrointestinal system, has more cells in the intestinal tract system than the entire human body. And if you are female and you add in the reproductive organs, it goes into the millions. So there are more than a trillion cells in the gastrointestinal system. The other fact is that the most receptors for biochemical changes in the intestinal tract are in the human brain. So there is a direct and immediate connection between the health of the intestinal tract and mental function, cognition, Alzheimer's, deteriorative changes in in the brain. And the the second largest number of receptors is on the human heart. So there's an intimate interplay biochemically between the intestines, the heart, and the brain in the body every day, every second, all the time. And if we know what those interactions are and we know what we need to do to make them better through diet, exercise, stress management, all of those factors that I go into in the book, we can optimize that interaction, reduce heart health, reduce the likelihood of Alzheimer's and deteriorative brain disease, and improve digestion and absorption so it, it's a critical variable. It's called the brain-gut connection, and that's exactly what it is. So let me ask you this, because our listeners, you've got them so intrigued at this point, um, and I'll ask you in a minute about the seven biochemical pathways, which I think are important, stress, inflammation, immunity, oxidative. Um, if they were saying, hey, you know, Kenneth, this is a great podcast, where do I go and what kind of tests can I take to actually determine what's going on inside of my body if they're trying to be preventative in nature and have some 
way to guide it because otherwise they don't know what's going on. Right. I mean, there are, again, in the book, I've listed about four or five companies that do good testing. One, and, and again, by way of disclosure, I'm a, a compensated advisor to this company, but there's a company called Thorn Nutraceuticals, T-H-O-R-N-E, Thorn Nutraceuticals, and they're in New York, and they do excellent uh, genetic and blood marker testing, and they will, within the next six to nine months, have the biomic or intestinal tract testing. They're the only nutraceutical company that's ever earned the right to use the Olympic logo. So in the Brazilian summer games, they actually, after submitting all of their research to the U.S. Olympic Committee or International Olympic Committee, were granted the right to use their their logo. So it's a very evidence-based, research-oriented, factual kind of company. So that's one place uh, to get uh, such an assessment. Are you there? Yes, still here. Sorry. (laughs) So that's a good place to get the assessment, and that's a good thing. And I think for our listeners, uh, we'll put a link up to Thorne Nutraceuticals in the podcast, uh, Ken, so that they can get access to that. And I presume they can purchase that online, and it's a saliva test or, or something. Is that correct? Yes, and when they get the results back, they have the option of speaking with a geneticist for interpretation. So it takes the, you, you'd get a, a printout basically of the, the, what you can do to raise or lower the markers if necessary. And then you'd have a session as an option with a genetic counselor for anywhere from 15 minutes to a half hour that helps you kind of adapt and fine tune it. And that's a critical variable. I mean, the, the human interpretation and interaction in all of this is critical. You know, genetic markers are neutral. They just give you information, and then you need to advice and guidance on how to make those changes. Interesting. Um, Great. So now you speak about these seven biochemical pathways, and they're very articulately laid out inside of your book. And I thought just for the purposes, maybe we would address three or four of them, not all seven, that people can get the book if they want to read more about these. Uh, But- one is oxidative, another is stress, the other is inflammation, and the other is immunity. And those were the first four um, that I pulled from the book. Can you briefly speak about these biochemical pathways and their determination on our health and longevity? Right. I mean, the first one that really is critical is what's called oxidative stress. So any we, we are our cells are constantly going through oxidation or burning fuel. And that can either be a very precise process or it can basically end up having a lot of debris, byproduct. Uh, And that's entirely dependent on diet. So if you're eating a diet with a lot of additives, if you're eating a lot of uh, fatty, trans fat foods, um, processed fruits and vegetables, uh, not getting exercise, the byproducts of oxidative metabolism, normal oxidative metabolism, is going to result in what they call oxidative stress, which is where the byproducts, the the waste products of metabolism, actually begin to outweigh the benefits of having the nutrients at a cellular level. So, so again, there are specific foods that actually create less oxidative stress and more positive oxidation in cells, and I I go through that that list. Uh, Another is immunity. And immunity in the body 
is literally how the body tells self from not self. So who you are versus a bacteria, who you are versus a uh, environmental exposure to a petrochemical. It tells you where your boundaries are. And immunity can be dramatically affected by stress in particular, that if we're under a lot of stress, immunity tends to be suppressed. So if you think about colds and flus during the winter or colds and flus when we have a period of emotional stress, that's because your immune system is suppressed. It's not as vigilant as it could be. On the other hand, you have hyperimmunity, so you have autoimmune diseases. So again, none of these are good or bad. There's a, a middle ground, an optimal level that we want to maintain. So in the case of uh, immunity, the, again, there are foods and, and meditation is a great way to maintain immunity. Uh, meditation is a way to kind of reboot the system or reset the body. We're born healthy. Everything we do after childhood will influence us to stay healthy or, or our health to deteriorate. When you meditate, you go to a neutral zone and the body reboots. It recalibrates itself and can move forward. It's probably one of the greatest assets of meditation, which is the re restoration of homeostasis or the natural balance uh, in the body. Um, the other marker that you mentioned, I think, was inflammation. And again, too much inflammation is irritable bowel, arthritic disorders. Uh, too little is uh, lack of uh, ability to heal. And again, we want a moderate amount of inflammation, and that's governed largely by the foods we eat. It's, uh, again, like you say, the environmental factors, the social cycle factor, psycho factors are actually having these effects on us. And I think that, you know, there is always this issue, and I'll kind of want to sum up our interview with this and put a kind of a, a capture around everything we've talked about. And that is, you know, as these tests become better and better, and they're better determinants, as you said, in the next three to five years, Thorne's going to be able to have this phenomenal test for all of us. What are the ethics that you see um, that we need to be confronted? And what do you see as the future of kind of medicine and the way that it's performed? Because, you know, um, without mentioning any names, I work in a wellness arena myself. And I know that, you know, uh, doctors to stay employed, uh, I know this sounds kind of confrontational, but they like to have sick people. Um, if this kind of thing can really help everybody get better, what are the issues that we're confronted with? I'd love to see a, a healthy society, but then we've got an issue of longevity as well. And people living to 150 years old has a, has a huge economic impact on society. But I think there was a statement made the other day, Kenneth, that um, the, the first child was born um, just recently that will live to 150. Um, if that's the case, and we're going to have more of those, what do you see for the future here? Well, you're right. The bioethical issues in genetics are overwhelming. Um, the, this change, this, this era of epigenesis has more impact on medicine, health, individually and as a society than antibiotics. I mean, we are really uh, tinkering, learning how to steer life itself. 
so the, the ethics of uh, genetic testing, of what you do with that information, genetic engineering, do you want a, a taller, uh, more muscular, blue-eyed, whatever, uh, baby. Uh, so the, the ability to modify the genes, uh, all of those issues, those are not issues that can be left to geneticists. Those are for spiritual counselors, for clergy, for the general public, within family, within friends, within counselors. These are huge issues that are affecting us uh, globally. So there's always a dark side. Genetics has immense promise to really become what you've described as personalized or what Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, has called uh, precision medicine, which is to match an individual with a particular pharmacology, a particular treatment, a particular diet in a very precise way that sustains health. So that's the promise. Uh, the downside is that this can be very dark. It can turn into genetic manipulation. We hear about genetic ed gene editing, and there's a technology, the acronym is CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, uh, and it's, it's a gene editing technique. And we thought that this was very precise, and it sounds very precise. However, the last three months, there are a number of studies which have come out that in the precise uh, cutting and pasting of a gene, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of letters left out. So it's as if you had Shakespeare and thousands and thousands of words were left out of the Shakespeare play. It reads totally differently. So it's not as precise as we believed. And so suddenly you get the possibility of genetic editing to eliminate a disease and you've created a predisposition to a different disease or diseases we haven't even seen yet. So we need to, all of us, collectively, not just the people working in the field, but collectively we need to monitor, we need to weigh in, we need to be informed about both the plus and the minus of the epigenesis revolution. It's coming. The next 10 to 20 years are going to be astoundingly good and astoundingly fearful, and it's really going to be up to us to weigh in and help to make those decisions. Well, I hope as a physician and a counselor, uh, that you're still around and that your genes are doing well to actually counsel. And as you say on your website, you're not your genetic destiny. Uh, that's a great statement. For my listeners, we're going to put a link to uh, Dr. Pelletier, Pelletier's website, which is drpelletier.com. Uh, there you can see some videos. Uh, you can look at the books uh, that Dr. Pelletier has written. Uh, learn more about him, articles up there as well. I encourage you to go there. Um, this book is on Amazon. We'll also have a link to Amazon and to the book. Um, Dr. Pelletier's work has certainly been um, recognized uh, by other very prominent physicians. Um, actually, the foreword of the book is Dr. by Dr. Annual Weil, Andrew Weil. Um, so I encourage all of you, go get a copy of this book if you're at all interested about um, how the epigenetic uh, revolution is going to change you, how you can use these determinants um, to kind of better yourself, get involved in meditation, better environments, better food, um, and everything that could affect you um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, any parting words for our listeners, uh, Kenneth, that you'd like to say before we wrap up this interview? 
Well, you actually gave a very excellent summary. Thank you. Uh, I, I think, my, as you mentioned, uh, my basic message is your genes are not your destiny. They're a push in a particular direction, and it's up to us through our lifestyle choices and changes to move it to an optimal direction or to succumb to the negative tendencies and have a shorter life and poorer quality of life than we might have. So uh, I, I used a uh, misquote from Shakespeare. Shakespeare said, the fault lies not in the stars, but in ourselves. And what I would say, the fault lies not in the genes, but in ourselves. Wonderful. I'm glad you ended it with that. And uh, thank you so much, Kenneth, for being on. Thank you for spending time with our listeners. Uh, and for our listeners, please check out the blog. Um, listen to this. Uh, go to Amazon. Pick up a copy of this book. It's a pretty quick read. Actually, this is not a heavy book. It's done very well. And I'd say it's for the average person who doesn't really understand a lot, that, a lot about it when you're done um, I'm not saying you'll be an expert, but you'll know enough to be dangerous. So thanks, Kenneth. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This podcast is brought to you by Simon Mainwaring, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of We First, a brand consultancy that works with top entrepreneurs and companies like Tom's, Virgin, and Timberland to bring their personal and company purpose to life in ways that drive business growth. He's also the inspiration behind the new, life-changing courses entitled How to Find Success Through Purpose and How to Accelerate Business Growth Through Purpose. Please listen to podcast number 679, where Simon shares actionable insights from top entrepreneurs and business leaders about how to define your personal and company purpose to unlock the success you deserve in life. Personal purpose is so important to your health and career. While company purpose is a key driver of business growth today as it empowers your brand to become a movement. If you're looking to create more clarity, success, and fulfillment in your life, and to accelerate your company's growth, then you're going to want to listen to podcast number 679 with Simon Mainwaring about defining and activating your purpose. Check out Simon's courses at www.simonwaring.com wefirstworks.com. Thanks for listening.